0: I'm Ty Wyckoff, and this is the Millennial's Guide to this Historic Moment.
1: This generation did not create most of the conditions and the convictions which have led us to this day. But this generation has a responsibility to resolve them. As we look at America, we see cities enveloped in smoke and flame. We hear sirens in the night. We see Americans dying on distant battlefields abroad. We see Americans hating each other, fighting each other, killing each other at home. And as we see and hear these things, millions of Americans cry out in anguish, did we come all this way for this? It is the voice of the great majority of Americans, the forgotten Americans, the non-shouters, the non-demonstrators. They're not racist or sick. They're not guilty of the crime that plagues the land. It sounds
0: like a speech you could have heard at the 2020 Republican National Convention, but that was Richard Nixon accepting the nomination for president at the 1968 Republican National Convention. 1968 was a rough year in American history. Deep in the thralls of Vietnam, the country was as divided as ever. Civil unrest and despair swept the nation in the wake of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s assassination and descended further when Robert F. Kennedy, John F. Kennedy's brother and presidential candidate at the time, was also assassinated. Nixon successfully won the presidency that year, and his success was due in large part to a particular campaign strategy his team deployed. With a nation in chaos, Nixon talked about creating stability with one very particular phrase.
2: The violence must stop, whether in Minneapolis, Portland, or Kenosha. Too many heroes have died defending our freedom to see Americans strike each other down. We will have law and order on the streets of this country.
0: Law and order has long been an effective political strategy. Donald Trump has clung to it, attempting to replicate Nixon. In several tweets, the president has used it ever since the protests over George Floyd's murder erupted across the country in June, including one of the first times where he just tweeted law and order, in all caps, of course. I mean, I can imagine this with any other presidential candidate. You're sitting there, surrounded by your campaign team, and your messaging guy tells you, look, law and order worked for Nixon it'll work for you. And then you devise a messaging strategy that does something similar, perhaps more subtly, and then you begin deploying it. But with Donald Trump, it's like they had that meeting, and all he heard was law and order works. So he just tweets law and order in all caps. (laughs) Of course, it's not something Donald Trump could ever be accused of. Subtlety, that is. But the 2020 RNC has wrapped up, so let's break down what happened, what was the messaging, and whether or not it will move the needle. Some of the speeches amplified that law and order theme.
1: They'll disarm you, empty the prisons, lock you in your home, and invite MS-13 to live next door. And the police aren't coming when you call in Democrat-run cities. They're already being defunded, disbanded.
2: Do you support the cancel culture? the cosmopolitan elites of Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, and Joe Biden, who blame America first. Do you think America is to blame? Or do you believe in American greatness? Believe in yourself, in President Trump, in individual and personal responsibility. They want to destroy this country and everything that we have fought for and hold dear. They want to steal your liberty, your freedom. They want to control what you see and think and believe so that they can control how you live.
0: That was Representative Matt Gates, followed by Kimberly Guilfoyle, Donald Trump Jr.'s girlfriend. She was kind of like one of those friends we all have that talks to you on Zoom as if she's actually trying to talk to you across state lines. <laughs> but overall, the messaging at the RNC was weird. I think one commentator put it best when he used the phrase cognitive dissonance. COVID-19 wasn't really a prominent theme, and it's almost as if there was the sense of being talked about, as if the virus was something that just happened in March, and now we've overcome that. It's not a problem anymore. The White House chief economic advisor said this.
2: Then came a once-in-100-year pandemic. It was awful. Health and economic impacts were tragic. Hardship and heartbreak were everywhere. But presidential leadership came swiftly and effectively with an extraordinary rescue for health and safety to successfully fight the COVID virus.
0: And yet on the same day, almost 1,500 Americans died from COVID-19. But there were a few speeches that didn't sound a whole lot like the other ones.
2: From a global pandemic to the deaths of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, 2020 has tested our nation in ways we haven't seen for decades. But regardless of the challenges presented to us, every four years, Americans come together to vote, to share stories of what makes our nation strong and the lessons we have learned that can strengthen it for further generations. Because while this election is between Donald Trump and Joe Biden, it is not solely about Donald Trump and Joe Biden. It's about the promise of America. It's about you and me, our challenges and heartbreaks, hopes and dreams.
1: America is a story that's a work in progress. Now is the time to build on that progress and make America even freer, fairer, and better for everyone. That's why it's so tragic to see so much of the Democratic Party turning a blind eye towards riots and rage.
0: That was Republican Senator Tim Scott and former ambassador to the U.N. Nikki Haley. And these were good speeches, regardless of your politics. They struck more classical Republican notes than we saw from the other speeches. Scott did a good job not so much in praising Trump, but going after Biden's weaknesses. And that was really what I think worked about these speeches, is that they were not only good speeches, but they didn't talk about Trump a whole lot, instead focusing on other themes.
1: Your vote will decide whether we protect law-abiding Americans or whether we give free reign to violent anarchists and agitators and criminals who threaten our citizens. And this election will decide whether we will defend the American way of life or whether we will allow a radical movement to completely dismantle and destroy it. Joe Biden's agenda is made in China. My agenda is Made in the USA. The far left wants to coerce you into saying what you know to be false and scare you out of saying what you know to be true. Biden is weak. He takes his marching orders from liberal hypocrites who drive their cities into the ground while fleeing far from the scene of the wreckage. Biden is a Trojan horse for socialism. If Joe Biden doesn't have the strength to stand up to wild-eyed Marxists like Bernie Sanders and his fellow radicals, and there are many, there are many, many, we see them all the time, it's incredible, actually, then how is he ever going to stand up for you? He's not. The fact is, I'm here. What's the name of that
0: building? My own political views aside, this speech was so long. It was over an hour, and especially for being the last speech of eight hours of programming, it really didn't do much. There was no theme, there was no broader point, it was a lot of wandering and kind of just touching on random things and You know, there were some clever lines, but of course the law and order theme was the theme if there is one. So let's break down the messaging, see what might work, what might not. In the last episode, I mentioned suburban voters. They are most likely to be the decision makers this November because they are moderate Republicans who have been in the last couple of years realigning to the Democratic Party. So this is definitely a demographic of voters that Donald Trump is going to want to get back. But at the moment, he is losing them. The first messaging point I saw was the economy. Republicans tried to frame it as the situation where because the economy was good before COVID-19, which is not the president's fault, it's China's fault, then once the virus is gone, Donald Trump will be the one to rebuild the economy. And I think that message uh, actually might have some level of effectiveness to it, especially for suburban voters. A lot of suburban voters were holding out for the longest time because of how good the economy was. And it's a note for Democrats. Uh, We haven't really gotten much from Biden as far as what his economic plans would be. Um, The campaign really hasn't said anything about who will be advising him on the economy. And all through this time, even though Donald Trump's numbers have been sinking, on the question of who would handle the economy better, Trump has consistently polled higher than Joe Biden. So there is an opening there. But one thing to keep in mind is that's really if COVID-19 is not the number one issue on voters' minds at the time that they go vote, because as I said, even though Trump has pulled higher on the question of the economy, he is still drowning in the polls because COVID-19 is a much more important issue right now. That can change, and it will have to change if Donald Trump's argument about the economy is going to do any good for him. Which brings me to number two. The campaign really has yet to come up with a coherent message about the virus. Talking about it in past tense is really not the wisest when up to this point it has been the biggest issue on voters' minds. And when we are on track towards 200,000 deaths, I mean, if this gets worse and we are on track towards 300,000 deaths, which some projections have said that that might be the case by December, COVID-19 is looking to be the third leading cause of death in the United States. Number three, the Republican Party was really trying to show how diverse it is. This includes several prominent African Americans and several African Americans who are close to Donald Trump with personal stories and policy stories and some other things to show how diverse the Republican Party is, as well as show how not racist the president is. Uh, This also happened on the night that featured women. A lot of women from within the administration a lot of women within the party, and then of course voters all gave these talks about how great Donald Trump is towards women, how much he respects them, how much he hires them and trusts them with responsibilities, things like that. And to be honest, these all kind of sounded defensive, kind of like an unprovoked denial. You know that friend who tells you that they don't care over and over and over again. You're sort of wondering, wait, who who asked if you cared, and who are you actually trying to convince? If your biggest theme is, see, we're not racist, and no, he really respects women. I know you've never seen this before, but really, he's a good guy. I don't know if you're off to a great start. Lastly, there is no doubt that law and order is a powerful tool in politics, but I am a little doubtful that it's going to work this time. The suburbs of 2020 are not the suburbs of 1968, they are far more diverse than the image that seems to be in the president's head, and I can't imagine that the white grievance cord that law and order riffs off of is really going to be as powerful as it has been in the past. And that brings me to my last point. Donald Trump is not Richard Nixon. Nixon was the insurgent candidate, Trump is the incumbent president. And I think this is where a lot of that cognitive dissonance emerges from because I think Trump's trying to be both. It's more advantageous for the insurgent candidate like Donald Trump in 2016 because it's easy to blame the chaos on the sitting president. But it isn't 2016 anymore. And it's really difficult to make the argument that all of the chaos and the burning buildings and the violence is Joe Biden's America when it's happening in yours. Of course, the campaign finds a loophole here by saying that all the chaos is in Democratic-run cities and blue states and so on and so forth, but that was kind of a poor idea because that gave Joe Biden's messaging that Donald Trump is divisive and stokes the flames of division an opening, as Joe Biden gave a speech just yesterday.
2: I want to make it absolutely clear, something very clear about all of this. Riding is not protesting. Looting is not protesting. Setting fires is not protesting. Violence will not bring change. It will only bring destruction. It's wrong in every way. It divides instead of unites. Destroys businesses, only hurts the working families that serve the community. This president long ago forfeited any moral leadership in this country. He can't stop the violence because for years he's fomented it. You know, he may believe mouthing the words, law and order makes him strong, but his failure to call on his own supporters to stop acting as an armed militia in this country shows how weak he is. Having failed to protect this nation from the virus that has killed more than 180,000 Americans so far, Trump posts an all caps tweet screaming, law and order, to save his campaign. One of his closest political advisors in the White House doesn't even bother to speak in code. She just comes out and she says it. Quote, the more chaos, violence, the better it is for Trump's reelection. Just think about that. This is a sitting president of the United States of America. He's supposed to be protecting his country, but instead he's rooting for chaos and violence. The simple truth is, Donald Trump failed to protect America. So now, he's trying to scare America.
0: So, does the RNC move the needle? Like I said at the Democratic Convention, I don't think it moves the needle by much. If it does hit any voters in particular, I think the best shot that they have here are who they have started targeting and probably will focus on a lot more going forward, and that would be would-be Donald Trump voters that didn't vote in 2016. The campaign claims there's somewhere around 8 million, I think. I'm not really sure on those numbers. I'll have to get back to you and, and see if there there is an opening there. Um, I would imagine that there is a potential one uh, there that could help Donald Trump advance forward. But we will return to that in another episode, and as always, these are just my thoughts. What are your thoughts? What do you think? Do you think the RNC did a good job with its messaging? Do you think that's going to move the needle? Send me your thoughts at thishistoricmoment@gmail.com. at gmail.com. If you say something awesome, I just might read it on the air. If you're enjoying the show, please leave an honest review and a rating. Uh, that helps me reach a much wider audience, and your feedback helps me to make a better show. I did want to address something that Was another theme here that that Nikki Haley drew out in particular. She essentially framed Republicans as being fundamentally proud of the US and Democrats as being fundamentally critical. And I think there's some truth to that, but it brings up a good question to ask ourselves in this very dark time Should we be proud or critical of our country? I think it can be, and I think it should be both. Because there is something that fundamentally makes America, America. It's this action that we find at the core of the American Revolution. It's that thing that without it, there would have been no emancipation, no women's suffrage, no labor movement, no Civil Rights Act. Nothing that this country has ever done that's great could have been done without it. Ruthless critique of the status quo. Now, I know we're all divided about these issues and we should never accept nor succumb to violence, but let me be clear. Don't ever let anyone tell you that you're ungrateful or unpatriotic for calling out inequities and demanding justice. That's what being an American is about. Ensuring that this country lives up to its promises for all Americans is not a lack of patriotism, it is the only outcome of patriotism. Those promises were written in ink and bought with blood. And while holding our institutions and our politicians accountable to those promises is a never-ending project, it is that work that keeps this nation moving forward. So again, we should reject violence both the right and the left, and yet we should maintain that unmoved mover, ruthless critique of the status quo. That's what makes America great, so keep at it. And thanks for joining me, Ty Wyckoff, on The Millennial's Guide to This Historic Moment.
1: This generation did not create most of the conditions and the convictions which have led us to this day, but this generation has a responsibility to resolve them.